I mean, people use, yeah, people use, um, like pretty much this exact setup that I'm using for actually like scientific purposes for not only cannabis, but I mean, I'm sure other fields as well, but I know specifically in the cannabis industry, it's, uh, um, it's used for trichome hunting for extracts and all that, that jazz. So Mm -hmm. it's for science. Yeah. It's for science. (laughs) (laughs) Science, bitch. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of the Dropcast with your hosts, Jonathan Downing and Trace Armento. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about some things like photography, marketing, brand awareness, all that stuff. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's also a good day for us because in real life, not in podcast time, we just dropped the Dropcast today. Yeah. That's going to get a little confusing for the viewers, but... Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) But yeah, first episode is dropped today and going to be steady releasing them every Monday. Mm-hmm. The services are all really wonky and annoying to figure out when it comes to like getting it on Spotify and the video capabilities and all that stuff because we've got the... I mean, you'd think, you'd think that it's just like open a creator account on Spotify or something and you can just upload directly there, but it's... It's not. You've been learning way more about it than I have yeah. and it's like a whole, whole thing. It's Separate whole. third party jargon. It's a whole damn thing. But, okay, we'll hop right into it. Trey just got back from a long road trip in and out of Kentucky. He's a little tie-tie. Yeah, I was in uh, Tennessee, actually. Tennessee. Drove through Kentucky, but yeah. yeah. Um, friend's wedding, Cam and Kelsey, congratulations. Great wedding. Great seeing everyone out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we drove down there. It was quite a long drive. We didn't, we didn't get back to like 2 a.m. last night, so I'm feeling, feeling a little toasty today. How many pictures did you take? Oh, like only 10. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about. Um, it's a good segue into our topic today, which is photography. Um, do you want to touch on it first? Or I mean, me? I guess just like that whole th- scenario is just like, I always like to take photos wherever you go. And like, obviously, that's the, the great opportunity. But sometimes you just don't get around to it, like exhibit A. So. And it feels um, like you wasted a trip. That's I get that all the time. In in the in the photography realm, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you drive around a new city and you're like, I mean, it happens all the time for me where it's like, man, I wish I could just visit this city solely for photography and just go jump around there. But yeah. normally you're on the move and you got places to be. So yeah, but yeah, I would say jumping into that, like using traveling or like any sort of traveling that you do, whether it's like work related or like even a family vacation, just bringing your camera and starting out doing some photography there is a great way to build your, your portfolio in the sense of, um, whatever you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. If that's landscapes, that's a great outlet for that. Hopefully you visit some cool places. Mm -hmm. You're basically as a landscape photographer, only limited to your locations. (laughs) Pretty much. I I mean, yeah, there, there is a certain extent. I mean, Wherever you are, there's great photos to be taken for sure. That's true, not a doubt. But uh, but yeah, I mean, sometimes <clears throat> I, I think Instagram is an evil beast with that because you're always scrolling through Instagram and you see the best of the best people out there that are in like mm-hmm. Norway and Iceland and all these just amazing places, and you're like, damn, like, and you look at your feed of Ypsilanti, Michigan, and you're like, <laughs> damn, I suck. <laughs> but like your compositions, like, I mean, work on compositions wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But, so then when you do get to those places, you know what you're doing and you can mm-hmm. knock those p- photos out of the park. So what, what do you think your favorite type of photography is? 
favorite type of photography. Or like when you when you take photos, what do you like to do? Um, I mean, I love landscape photography. That's obviously a tried and true right there. Um, do a lot of live event photography, and then most recently, like extreme. Ooh, that whistle right there was loud. Extreme macro photography. Um, I've been diving into pretty pretty heavily, which has been really cool. A whole new world with that. But you gonna plug the Instagram? Uh, yeah, it's a depth of fields. S with a S. So is it all one word? There's no periods or anything. I think so. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's where I post some of my. It's like mainly cannabis macro photography on that page. Um, but I mean, I've definitely gotten into some like bugs and eyes of bees and stuff that really start to tell a story and stuff. So that's really cool. I can touch on that whole process. Yeah, too, I was going to say, wanna, you want to go into the flow of that? So yeah, I mean, I've been like... And let's it, keep in mind, sorry to interrupt, but the macro photography that Trey's talking about goes beyond the actual concept of macro photography. Because a lot of people, you know, you just have like a hundred millimeter macro or something like that. And you, you get some really nice close-ups and some details, but you're talking about like extreme macro. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people that take it even further than I do, like without like magnification or microscopic lenses and mm-hmm. stuff. Like they really like some super scientific stuff to where you can go ten thousand times zoom if you want and start looking at cells of things. So yeah, um, there's definitely levels to it. But I mean, for the longest time, we started out on the just the Canon hundred millimeter macro. And I mean, for those of you that know a little bit about macro work, like when you're the closer you get to a subject, the smaller your field of focus is going to get. So like when you're right up there at the minimum focus distance with that macro lens, your what's in focus is going to be like sometimes just like the a razor thin line of what's in focus. So you're kind of limited in that sense. So kind of a technique that I've been doing, um, even with the um, Canon 100 millimeter is focus stacking. And before I was kind of using or focus stacking like the cheap method if you will i mean it's it still works and i've still gotten great results but you definitely get some lens breathing i'm starting to get a little technical here but like lens breathing i guess is what happens when you focus the lens from like the minimum focus distance to infinity and let's remind everybody we're talking about There's, the z plane yeah, well yeah the the focusing on the z plane yeah so um just the the breathing of the actual lens itself so you're you're what's in focus or your subject in your image will actually kind of distort whether you're like on your focus wheel. So like if you are at your minimum focus distance and it's like really far away, as opposed to when you bring it all the way to like the front of the subject, your image is going to kind of warp, if you will. It's not like a similar to like a parfocal kind of feel to it. So it doesn't, it's not warping the image because sometimes when you get into it, it'll get skewed and not exactly well, what you're, it is correct yeah like you're taking what would usually be bokeh and you're out of focus image and then refocusing it and then stacking it so like mm-hmm. so just to break it down too i mean i was getting kind of lost in there but with focus stacking so with this 100 millimeter lens i would take upwards of like 100 plus photos like normally with the manual focus stacking like that it was kind of living more on the 50 to maybe like as low as 20 photos um, blended together. So what I would do is you have a subject that's super close up and just kind of start at the end of the end of the subject. So like you're very, let's use a B for example, the very end of the B where maybe like the wing is and then work your way in with focus, but taking a photo every single time 
you kind of move the lens just a little bit or move mm-hmm. the focus ring. So then you're building your image that's in focus and you're left with like 50 photos of just like the focus kind of going through the subject. Mm-hmm. From there, there's um, programs. I mean, you can do it in Photoshop and stuff too. It gets a little clunky in Photoshop. Granted, you can go through and kind of smooth out all your masks and stuff, but Photoshop's definitely a harder workflow, I would say. I've tried it, but I definitely don't prefer it. Um, the preferred software that I use is Helicon Focus. Um, and what that does, you can just drop all of your images in it and run it through, and it'll then. I don't know exactly how it works, but it just blends all of the in-focus bits of each photo <clears throat> into one solid photo. So, And it's totally a software worth buying. Yeah, I mean, it's that. a it's a yearly thing that I pay for, but I mean, yeah, I use it it's every other super day. super cheap, right? Isn't it like not even 20, 30 bucks? Uh, I think it's like 100 bucks a year. Oh, 100 bucks. Yeah. I think they have trial versions, though, that you can go and yeah. do your tests on and stuff, <clears> but... So that's that's what I was doing for a number of years. Um, I had a couple clients for like cannabis photography and stuff back then for um, just doing some product stuff for their websites. So I would do focus stacks in that realm um, with that. But the downside of using um, your hand to manually focus the, the focus ring um, is you're moving the camera. So it's like it's jiggling all over the place and like your photos will kind of like vary and like bounce between one another so then when you go to focus stack them you get these like duplicates of little areas or like jitters if you will in the image that just kind of make it look Mm -hmm. unclean um so what i've done to replace that is actually like a micro focusing rail so it's basically these now you're getting into it it's basically a rail system like a kind of like a a camera slider but it has this high-powered motor on the back that is uh it it goes down to the one micron steps into it. So you can set, there's a control panel on it that you can then set the number of steps that you want from A to B. So how many, like how many steps it takes and then um, the overall distance. So then you can then within this piece of hardware, you can then slide your camera to the very front of the image or the very back of the, the subject, set your in point and then go to the very back of it or the front of it, set your out point, and then it'll just run it, and it's connected via shutter cable and everything. So once you set it up, the in and out points, you just basically press go in the amount of steps that you want, and it's it does it for you all automated. You don't touch the focus ring at all? No, actually, so now I don't even have to touch the camera at all. Um, it's all automated from the point that I touch go. Um, as for before, I would have to sit there and have my hands on the camera each photo because I would be going from A to B in that sense. Um, so now um, it's basically just setting your focus that you want, um, whether it's the minimum focus distance, like one-to-one is what the Canon 100mm shoots at. But I just recently picked up the Canon MPE 65mm, which is actually is like a going on almost a 10 year lens 10 year old lens now which is pretty impressive and it's still the holy grail of macro lenses i would say before stepping into the whole microscopic field um but that lens actually doesn't even have a focus ring on it so you pretty much need to use one of these rail systems um the Mm. only moving part to this lens is just um one to five times magnification so like when you twist it out, it's like, and it like, <laughs> it grows pretty good. It's a. It's I didn't a, know that didn't have a focus ring. It's a shower and a grower. So, 
yeah, no focus ring at all. That was that was a huge. Um, I mean, it's it's a learning curve for sure, and it's like the most specialty lens. Like you're only you're only taking pictures of stuff that's like right up close. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that lens, yeah, exactly. It was as I was saying, you can't use it for let's say a portrait lens like you can with the Canon hundred millimeter. Like mm-hmm. it, it's set on its like minimum focus distance from one to five times magnification. So. I remember when I shot a wedding with the Sony macro mm-hmm. native, the hundred, oh, I think that's a hundred millimeter. Maybe it's like 120 or something. Uh, 90 millimeter. The, 90, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The G master one or the, yeah, I think it's, it's not, a G master. It's like the black badge of it. I think it's right below, but yeah, um, the Sony native one, the bokeh. Well, just being able to be native with it was beautiful because mm-hmm. I could nail that focus. But the bokeh, I remember there were some sunflowers in the background of this one picture that were just like melting away just because yeah, some with of the, those... With the macro lenses, your bokeh is definitely like <sighs> intensified. Beautiful. Really nice. I mean, with the Canon 100 millimeter and like the 90 for Sony and stuff, those are all great macro lenses, but they, they dual purpose really well for uh, for portrait lenses as well. Mm-hmm. So You just got to step back. But... uh couple more things on the macro things and then we can we can move on uh, I just wanted to touch on like the the amount of light needed when you're when you're shooting macro photography so normally it's I'm I do a lot of my product photography style shooting with constant lighting actually the one that's lighting us right here as well as just a one more or two more lights depending on the situation but um, with macro photography it's actually recommended to use strobes um, so flashes in that sense um, just for the sheer power, light power output of those. Um, because when you're shooting, like on the, the Canon MPE 65, for example, when you're shooting at one times magnification versus five times magnification, it's like night and day with the light difference. Like your image. It's like more than five stops. Pretty, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much like a stop of light per times. I don't know what it is exactly, so don't quote me on that, but it is like your, your image will be perfectly exposed at one over or one times magnification, then you you zoom in and you're like, whoa, I need a lot more light. So flashes definitely come in handy when you're working at that high of a magnification and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, And for everybody listening, I think it's important to actually go to this Instagram trace talking about depth of fields and just look at these photos just because like you get so close on some of those trichomes and everything mm-hmm. like that. Like, for somebody who's familiar with what those look like, but then see them in those photos, I think it's really mind blowing to see like actually what those look like on a. I mean, people use level. yeah, people use um like pretty much this exact setup that I'm using for actually like scientific purposes for not only cannabis, but I mean I'm sure other fields as well. But I know specifically in the cannabis industry, it's uh um it's used for trichome hunting for extracts and all that that jazz so mm-hmm. it's really, for science yeah it's for science <laughs> <laughs> science bitch <laughs> um but yeah i mean the the reason that i kind of got into that whole macro photography world and especially in the cannabis industry um is just i saw that void in the market um no one's really doing it to like that magnification i would say in mm-hmm. kind of the east coast side of the the country. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of people out in Oregon, California, Candy Kush, all those people really, really killing it out there and stuff. So I was like, mm, I'll see what we can do with the market out here. And it's been, it's been cool. 
Yeah, I think your next step is to just really market it and push it. And yeah, I mean, it's it. it's kind of all about, like, it's given with any <clears throat> photography or any creative scenario is just kind of finding that niche in the market and kind of tailoring a skill of yours towards that, um, mm-hmm. I think is pretty valuable. Cause, yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of something that I was pushing, too, with my photography. Um, I remember when I first started taking photos and I opened up my Instagram, um, before I found the gimmick of camera cowboy, it was like, you know, all those terrible whack names like JD photography, seven, three, four, seven, three, four, dot raw. No, I hate now. It was all sucked. And like, if your name's Trace Armento, you can make an Instagram. That's just that because it's a rare name, but like, I'm just, I'm just very uncreative when it comes to names. So well, it doesn't like, matter. Cause like, it's a name. That's a brand. That's your personnel, you know, but with Jonathan Downing, there was way too, there's like, Oh yeah, you got Jonathan down and down the street. Yeah, it's insane. There was there was too many Instagrams that were all taken up. I couldn't really do anything about it. But I remember curating a following was kind of difficult because um, I had like my my actual following, be it like people that I know in real life, but curating a following from um, other parts of the world and just like other photographers in different areas was something that I had a, a difficulty doing. And I remember one thing that Andrew Sinelli pointed out to me because he, when he was doing his stuff with his Instagram page. He had like 10 K followers at one point. And, um, he was just explaining to me about like the grid inconsistency and like how your Instagram page will look overall in comparison to like your individual photos, because I would have photos that were all the way over here. And then I would have photos that were all the way over here. And like, it's really just like taking that step. Like you're, I mean, as stupid as Instagram and social media, we hate it. Yeah. It's important. Um, so like differentiating, I mean, you can have a personal account and your business account, but like try not to blend the two. If you're going to go and make a per or like a creative business account to showcase your photography, you probably shouldn't be showing selfies of you at the bar with all your friends and stuff. Like Mm-mm. keep that for a separate thing. Um, just a little tip, but yeah, yeah, I can't stress enough how stupid yet important social media is. It's mm. a, it's a dangerous trap yeah. and sucks. It's really bad for your mental health too. Um, I've, I've recently started putting the timer, so I have 15 minute, I think it's like, yeah, I've, I've just left it at 15 minutes, but occasionally I'll like remind myself or like have it. If it's it, yeah. But yeah. Setting that reminder just so you like get on there and it's like just that extra step of like, are you sure you want to just scroll right now? You're really at 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's every 15 minutes, but like I, I occasionally like, Oh, every 15 it minutes it'll remind you. It'll like if I'm on Instagram, like for more than 15 minutes, it'll like shut down basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Mine's... and, and it's like when I log into the app after I've been in for 15 minutes, it's like your oh. time limit, your time limits up. Yeah. Mine, it's pretty uh, clutch. Mine's I mean, three hours. <laughs> dude, like screen times are, are crazy if you like really look at them and pay attention. But mine, mine isn't three hours on one app. It's like Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, Snapchat all those are grouped on my phone as the time wasters. Mm -hmm. So it's three hours accumulative of that all day, but Mm -hmm. that usually only runs out like when I'm done with the day and then I'm on the couch doing nothing or like I'm in bed trying to fall asleep. But yeah, I think the screen time is super important. I mean, with like Instagram just being like such an important tool of like today's day and age of marketing and stuff too. It's like I run into that struggle like with my girlfriend and stuff where she's like, she just sees me on my phone on Instagram and stuff. And she's like, what are you doing? Like R and D babe, you're already on, you're like always on there and stuff. But like, 
it is a weird like work life balance to where you kind of have to yeah to figure out like just how much time you're spending on Instagram like for your brand if that's what you're going to do like mm-hmm. on the ins- on Instagram and social media and just finding that balance cuz it's it's yeah it's hard and it's like i only post so like kind of back to my camera style like when andrew was explaining to me some more of this grid stuff he was kind of pointing out he was like yeah john like your instagram page already has like a lot of earth tones because it seems like a lot of the stuff that you take pictures of is just like you know big environments and um there was a time where i was going in at aspen and in colorado for uh, more than a few times a year and i was traveling i went to to france belgium and just a lot of other places and depending on if i was ripping film or if i was ripping digital like digital i'd go on hikes and top mountains and this and that and i would get these crazy landscapes and eventually that's what i kind of realized that i liked and um one of the things about it is like my instagram only has those style photos because that's what i'm curating behind like my photography you know but you're like there yeah, so is like po- i guess in a way like post what you kind of want to be reckoned for yeah like it's like for you know almost like building your brand and and for me like it all comes from monetization like um and just being able to be like oh okay look i've got these prints you know what i mean so like and another thing too is is like there's also people who are selling prints that they're selling like the smaller ones for like 20 30 40 bucks a pop or this or that but there's also a lot of time that's invested in that and just like making shipping sure shipping fees all sh- that yeah, fun stuff all that stuff people who are putting deposits pull, trying to pull out or this and that and for me it was like okay i've got these banger pictures depending on if they're panoramics or if they're like from the sky or wherever the hell I'm getting them from and I want to sell them enough so I can make a profit off of them. So even though it's not that big of a profit, um, mm-hmm. printing them as big as possible and then mm-hmm. getting them out there too. And I think that also comes back to like my old like graffiti styles of sense where it's just like big, 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 you know? So it's like, that's what I want to do, especially because you've got that one in your house of your photo from what is it? Manistee. Um, that's, um, Munising Falls. Munising Falls, but the mm-hmm. print is huge. And mm-hmm. it's like when I saw that, I was like, damn, I want my shit that big. So just doing that and being able to like use that and sell them is it really helps. So like what you're saying is like you're kind of more focusing on uh the bigger, more like collectible like one offs, if you will. Like yeah. not so much like making a ton of like small little like 18 by 12 or 8 by 12 yes. prints where mm-hmm. it's like you're cranking out a ton of them but like you have your big like select like five pieces that you're like yep. making the like only select sizes yeah I respect that that's dope yeah and that's what i want to do it's like you know you walk into somebody's house and you see a big thing in the badlands above their couch or something and it's like that's badass picture oh mm-hmm. my friend took it you know what i mean and that'll get people's attention way more than just like a again like an 8 by 12 in like their bathroom mm-hmm. and it's like I have a print from Brian Paninski and it's a Mackinac bridge and I, I bought it and I love that print, but I just wish it was bigger. Like I almost kind of want to reach out to him and be like, yo, can I get that just bigger? Cause like right now it's like the size of a, a little bit bigger than a notebook. And it's just like, dude, I want that like big. So yeah, I don't know. And then like, that's where the whole entire thing with like the camera cowboy came into an essence because it's just like, 
there was a time where I was listening to a lot of country and drinking a lot of whiskey, and then we were in the Badlands, and you were like, dude, you look like a cowboy or something. I was like, dude. <laughs> I think it all stemmed from that photo. That it I did stem from that photo. It and totally the, did. The hat bought at, uh, what's that place called? That tourist place that we went? It wasn't tourist. Wall drug. Wall drug. It's kind of touristy. But, oh. it was, yeah, it was a badass authentic <laughs> leather shop, and I was like, dude, I'm getting me a cowboy hat. They had authentic leather. That was not an authentic leather shop, though. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It was just, it was still, yeah. It was tight. It was tight. But Trey immediately took it off my head and put it on his head, and he was walking around going, howdy, to everybody. <laughs> You're like, this is kind of tight. I yeah, like it. it. It has some power. I was like, give me back that hat. But, you know, um, so just like curating a brand and stuff like that. And I think with you, with like, you know, you have your Trey Sarmento Instagram. You're not posting all your weed stuff on it. You have mm-hmm. a different Instagram called Depth of Field so people can showcase and see different styles of work. And I think that kind of goes into with me. Like I take a lot of 35 millimeter film and an occasionally 120 off that Bronica that's actually not up there right now. I don't know oh, where it is. It's, it's behind, it's behind it. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't, I didn't want to make a different film Instagram or flood my Instagram with film stuff. So, like, you know, I put them in my highlights so you can still see them without like flooding somebody's feed or like. I want to just step away from Instagram really quick and just shed the importance of also having a portfolio outside of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people will use Instagram when they're trying to get work and there is a time and place for that, but there also are clients that will laugh at you if you try and send them an Instagram link. So mm-hmm. having a professional like portfolio website where you can just direct the bigger clients that you may run across, um, is going to just make you look that much better. So having, totally. that, having that in the roster is definitely really important. I just want to give that light of advice too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, keeping up with your Instagram, like you're saying, is it's a bitch. we all do it and it is, yeah, the, the vicious trap. And like what you were talking about, the scrolling and stuff like that, it's like for me, I only like to post landscape photography because that's the brand I'm trying to build to sell prints to make money. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, I have so many other photos that I could post, but I don't. Mm-hmm. So if one day I'm on Instagram and I'm like, I haven't posted anything new in maybe like a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Why am I even on Instagram right now? Yeah. That's, that's kind of hard. Like the, you get like confined into a box of like your mm-hmm. style and then you hold yourself to this pedestal where like every photo has to be better than the next. Yeah. I think we all go through that and I think that's a, it's a valid feeling and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to, yeah. Not give fucks. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the beautiful thing about this new Dropcast Instagram. We can yeah. just post whatever the hell we want on it. Yeah, exactly. Just talk about shit. Um, you talk a little about a little, 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 a little bit about um, our interest in film photography and stuff. Um, now that I'm thinking about thinking back about it, did we go through the film per, like classes together? We had a couple, we I know, but like, did we through, start together? We did... We started the darkroom club. We took the darkroom class together. Remember, we took it. Mm-hmm. I was taking one, and then you were taking one. And then we were like, oh, shit, we're both taking darkroom class. So then we switched it so we were both in the same one. <laughs> okay, there we go. Um, yeah, I just want to talk about film photography a little bit and just like how that kind of forces you into meaningful compositions. Mm-hmm. Um, with film photography, for those of you who don't know, it's you have a set amount of photos on your on your camera normally like 12 to 36 depending on what kind of format you're shooting but um because you have that limited amount of photos you're not on a digital camera where you can just take thousands of photos and just spray away or your phone 
um, I think that really forces you to be mindful of the photos that you're taking. And mm-hmm. then I think in result, that gives you some really unique results. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, I mean, we all do it with digital. Like you can set your, your camera on burst and just like Rip spray it. and pray basically. And you'll, you'll get some good content out of that, but really taking your time to focus on those compositions with film, um, was just a really cool experience that I had personally, um, with just slowing down. Like it was, such a slower process to to kind of just appreciate what it is you know not to sound too cliche but um yeah it's it's sweet it's definitely expensive and yeah it's it's even more (laughs) expensive now than it was a year ago it's insane yeah it's Um, fine uh it's crazy because when i was growing up i had a a girlfriend like a long-term girlfriend all throughout high school and her dad had a full dark room in his basement oh whoa yeah, right. That's but cool. me being a, a really arrogant teenager who is into um, more tangible art like painting and other things like that, I always thought photography was so stupid. What are you doing standing in the dark, stupid? No, I would just be like, no, I would just be like, uh, you know, like why would like taking photo taking a photo? And I used to verbalize this, and I verbalized it a lot throughout my life to him or just not to him, no. just everyone. No, okay. just like when people would ask me, like, why don't you try photography or something like that? Because mm-hmm. I would always be like. Why would I do that when I could just perfect my painting skills? And then you're going to come in and take a photo of something that I did and then claim it as your own photography. Or like, especially with graffiti, people would go into abandoned buildings and like take pictures of other people's graffiti and be Make like, it all artsy. Yeah, I'm an urbex yeah. photographer, HDR over contrasted. And like, that was a huge thing in the early 2000s and mm-hmm. mid 2000s and stuff. And it would always irk me so sideways because I'd be like, bro. You're literally taking a picture of somebody else's art and you're t- like claiming Getting it as your vain. own. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's funny now because I'm really into photography and I love the dark room and it's just something that was at the time so peaceful, you know, mm-hmm. like going yeah. out, shooting a couple rolls. You knew you're doing black and white. So you're focusing on other things like your, you know, your composition. And then on top of that, like your light values and everything like that too. Mm-hmm. And then just learning the basics behind it when it, you're talking about your speed and over pushing or like pushing your film or like overexposing and just all that fun stuff. A little dodge and burn action. Yeah, that was nice. But yeah, that was all at WCC where we had access to a dark room, which mm-hmm. was really cool. Granted, it was black and white because color film, I'm in the impression that it's very temperamental with temperature and all that, or just way more than black and white. So. I was actually start to finish developing black and white film, which was really cool process. Yeah. And you don't even really shoot that much film that much more, do you? Not anymore. I mean, I have a, like the 3d camera that I think probably gets the most film use these days. The Rito. Um, The Rito. Yeah. That kind of gives you that cool 3d boomerang effect. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's really expensive and I just kind of got, sick and tired of driving all the way out to Livonia for yeah. Express Photo. Um, Granite Camera Mall now does a decent job. My girlfriend still shoots film, and that's where she goes now, and it's it's fine. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it was just that drive every single time, like, wanting to get film developed, and it's like... For, like, one role. Yeah, or, like... I've had a role sitting up from Lake Michigan that I need to go get developed, and that was, like, I, I think August. I still have some in my fridge that I gotta send through. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... 
for me, like shooting, like there's a bunch of different styles of shooting film. I don't even shoot on a manual film camera anymore. Oh, yeah, you're I just on that, that point and shoot yeah, quick boy. The Marlboro mm -hmm. Which that's a cool camera. vibe in itself, like just mm -hmm. how quick you can be with that. And it, it also comes down to the different style of film photography that I'm into where like a lot of people, you know, you go out, you might have a subject or, or not, but like, you know, the, the most famous example for me is just like somebody sitting in the law quad at U of M when the lights just right with black and white or something like, you know, those style photos in comparison to, to what I like with the point and shoot, which is, you know, like you definitely like capture moments. In yeah. Time. Like I'm at like a friend's party or mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm camping or something like that. Like, which I think that's like a cool thing that film does because film is such like an analog and like, mm hmm intimate that moments form it, it like they definitely like have character a lot more character to themselves and like i think film takes you back to that time way harder than digital does so mm -hmm. like that form is really tight well it's also just difference it's like your brain is stimulated and we all know how our brain stimulus works with like dopamine releases and everything from social media so like anything that's kind of different that our brain takes in our brain just likes so mm -hmm. like we're used to seeing digital photos to the point now where we're just funny because film came first but yeah <laughs> yeah everything goes in cycles but yeah, now everybody is eating up film and even the film people know it. And yes, COVID sent, shut down a couple factories that produce the film and stuff like that. But the prices are going up because it's got you know supply and demand. People want mm -hmm. that shit. And it's honestly kind of ruined it for me because I don't, I can't, I don't know. I can't afford it either. I, I bought like, what, like $12 a roll now for Portra. Dude, uh, something like that. What I was doing is I was driving around to different Rite Aids in different cities. Like, you know, you get off in like Belleville, go to mm -hmm. the Rite Aid. And this is like in the midst of find COVID. Some Fuji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find some Fuji film before the it got sold out, and then reposted with the new prices because the prices would stay the same with the old stock, and then when they would restock the shelves, they would mm. go up. Yeah. So I was gutting some shelves for a minute, but then I had to go develop them, mm. and I was like, oh man, like another fifty bucks down yeah. the tube. Yeah, yeah, it, it it added up for sure, and then you get the Dropbox fees and mm -hmm. all that. Right. It would just be really cool just to be able to do that all yourself, but with a dark room. Mm -hmm. I mean, they make like Cine still makes those like portable ones, if you will, which are cool and stuff. I haven't done those personally, but the I was just reading on Reddit the other day about how people are developing color photos. And by the way, I like to shoot color. I don't I don't like black and white because color to me is just like Lake Michigan color vibes, all that stuff. Um, I can kind of focus less on composition. I can just kind of point and shoot. Mm -hmm. have that intimate moment yeah but getting your own color chemicals because it's way cheaper and there's less of them in comparison to the black and white but getting a sous vide you know what i'm talking about a sous vide was that a traveling dark room no it's like a sous vide it's like a style of cooking it's like one of those cooking thermometers that you stick in a in a bucket with a bag or like a pot with a mm. bag and it like boils the water, but it keeps the water at a constant temperature. Oh. So like you can sous vide a steak or something okay. like that. You're basically yeah, getting you the perfect like, rare steak. It's like a solid 73 degrees, yeah. like the whole fucking time, baby. So mm. like people are just buying sous vides, which are maybe like, I think they're a couple hundred bucks for a nice one. And then just developing their film in their kitchen, which is not pretty a, sweet. Yeah. Not a bad route. If the, yeah. if the technology's were there, that's kind of a cool mm -hmm. future and, retro collide totally um speaking of future and retro collision um, oh you just dropped something today didn't you oh 
Yeah, I mean, that's not what I was talking about. All right, well, you do the first thing first. We'll talk about the second one. Sorry. (laughs) Cool. Um, Just the combination of using, like, these new mirrorless or DSLR cameras in combination with these old vintage lenses. Oh, dude. um, You get some really cool looks. I mean, I'm sure people listening are familiar with, like, Helios and all those uh, mountain the Canon FDs, like, even backwards to get some cool macro stuff out of them. Um, But the just the look that you get between the digital sensor and the vintage glass is like, I remember shooting on the, on my Sony back when it was the full frame and stuff, you could get some amazing like swirling bokeh and just like some really dreamy effects out of those lenses. That was like, unlike any, any other lens that you could get. Cause the detail was there out of the, the camera itself. And then you get that like filmic look out of the lens. So like that combo was just like, a really cool thing to try out and it's and it's affordable to a certain extent i mean you can get vintage lenses for it's pretty, pretty cheap it's pretty damn affordable yeah. i remember like when i was buying my 35 millimeter cameras like i would just have like a bunch of trash 50 cannons mm-hmm. sitting around yeah you guys should check out shopgoodwill.com they can sponsor us if we want to uh, <laughs> i don't even know what you're talking about no i said they could sponsor us if they want. No, shopgoodwill.com. You can just buy lenses straight from there. So shopgoodwill.com is uh, basically all the Goodwill. I don't know if it's all the Goodwill stores, but basically a centralized website for a bunch of Goodwill stores around the country that they then do like a bidding process through stuff. So it's like a eBay for Goodwill stuff. Mm. And you can just search in like 35 millimeter camera and you'll find stuff for days. And the cool thing about it is like, I mean, I don't I haven't been on there in a while, but. I was getting lenses and like super eight cameras like crazy off of that website because oh, yeah. you, you would, bought like five or 10 of them on accident because of this very reason you'd, you'd put a bid in and it's like whatever, $5 for this Canon super eight, like sure. And you'd be the only one that bids. So you'd win like, just cause there's like a low traffic on the website. So mm-hmm. you can find some pretty good deals on some stuff. That's, that's pretty nice. So, yeah. I mean, there's also film convert. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck film. <laughs> Just throw a filter on <laughs> um, this plugin. Back to the Reddit thing. Um, I saw somebody upload a really dope video of when they took their Super 8 camera. My buddy just sent this to me the other day, like yesterday, actually. They took their Super 8 camera to the, the summit of the Swiss Alps. But when you've got nothing but white landscape, because you're in the snow, mm-hmm. you've got people that are just completely covered. You can't see their faces or anything. And they're ice picking and walking up big, huge mountain cliffs. You put that on super eight camera and you put some like really like, Oh, (laughs) music underneath it. Like it looks pretty nuts. You know what I mean? You're like, Whoa, this is a powerful video. But I was watching it. I was like, man, that sounds like a lot. I mean, I can't imagine how the film is like reacting in that like sub whatever 20 yeah. degree weather but i'm also just thinking it's like man are you sure that guy didn't just take an actual camera up there and then use film convert i mean there's for people I was who gonna don't say, know there's a i mean there's a is. there's a certain feel to actual film versus what film convert can do you can only get so far with film convert granted it is it is pretty solid like you can get some really realistic looking grain but I think I have to side on the analog side to where it's oh, like, of course. It, it's just, it's analog, you know? Yeah. But like, are, can you tell if I someone mean, does it with film convert very well with the new upgrade updates that they just did? 
if you guys want to send us one and we can we can see if I can tell or not, let's do it. Yeah, but wait, if anybody's I, listening I, to this, you can send it to us. Oh, the camera stopped. I don't think I have uh, ran into a scenario where I can't tell. Because, um, I mean, 30, like eight millimeter film, like it just has a vibe, you know? You got to drop that frame rate down to... Yeah, it'll do that for you. You can do that, but... Still, I mean, I, don't I, know, guess, man. I guess you could get close. You can get, you can get close. But. Plus, you said you've never been in an instance where you couldn't tell. What if you just didn't know? That's true. I can't knock it till I try it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a huge fan of analog, but just like right now, everything is just so expensive. So, mm-hmm. Sam Grime is still uh, shooting yeah. a lot of eight mil. Yeah, he's he just, is. Like I was on the Salt Flats or something. I saw. I'm not sure if I saw that one. Film or Super Eight? You said Super Eight. Yeah, I mean, he's doing both, but yeah, I know he's walking around with the Super 8 a lot. Yeah. Pretty cool. Those cameras also just scare me because you're like, <laughs> and then something stops working. You're like, oh, fuck it. It's like, broken. If you think 35 mil, like photos are expensive, getting that stuff, like 8 mil processed is, yeah. is pricey, especially for like personal stuff. It makes it kind of hard. You but, can't even drive. You got to ship it off. But any clients, they want Super 8 all day, baby. Write yeah. it in the invoice. All day, all day baby. <laughs> there was a, there's a photographer that I went to high school with. Uh, Monica Cleary and she lives in Savannah, Georgia. I'm pretty sure somewhere down there. She's a really good photographer, but she did her, like there was this thing at her wedding where they just put out a bunch of super eight cameras all on the table. Oh, and loaded I've heard them of up. that with like disposable cameras, but no, that's, they that's went to the another, next level. Yeah. yeah. Like, so then basically they, everybody could just fuck around with these super eights and they got them developed and that was their wedding video. That's rad. That's what I thought too. Yeah. I was like, that's creative. That's, that's better than hiring your Joe Schmo videographer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no slow-mo, but. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> um, speaking of wedding photographers. Oh, man. Dog. We got an email the other week from somebody that we shot a wedding for over two years uh, ago. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was crazy because, I don't know, great clients. Love them, great wedding, beautiful family. But this was like the one wedding we took that year. Yeah. Like for a while, we were taking like one a yeah. wedding a year, and which is like a total of like three weddings. <laughs> and it turns out that like I had a wedding to go to that was my friend's wedding that same day. So I was at a wedding, in a wedding. Oh, yeah, you doubled down. Left that wedding to go shoot a wedding left that wedding and to go back to the wedding that I was already at that day for my actual friend. And he was like, whatever, I don't care. But by the time I got back, everybody was, you know, on the dance floor mm-hmm. drunk. So, you know, it was still a fun wedding, but yeah. So she emailed us because she didn't have her wedding video because the Dropbox link finally got deleted after two years. And we were like, Holy smokes. She's like, Wait, she expected the Dropbox link still to be up. I mean, and yeah, I had to explain her the difference. we still had it on a drive. Um, Keep your stuff backed up people. Because but, but normally we expect clients to download from Dropbox to then receive the full quality video. Dude, like I'm kind of confused. Did she no, even, she totally like, had to have downloaded it and then like lost an iPhone backup and then thought she could go get it or something. Cause, Cause like, there's what, no way. Yeah. Like she wouldn't have been able to post it unless she's like, and you're watching <laughs> it on Dropbox playback, which is like 720 P. Yeah. Come Bullshit. On <laughs> yeah. But she got, she was pretty upset and I had to explain to her that Dropbox isn't YouTube and those links aren't going to be there forever. But thank God we had it. That's like a, we're still dealing with bridezillas even though we don't do, weddings anymore uh yeah whatever um but okay let's talk about the thing that you did today you did something um yeah i, I did it 
last week and then scheduled it for today. Um, oh, so. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, my first NFT collection dropped today. It's called uh, Poster Children. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of four pieces that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, figured I'd hop on this NFT train, um, see what it's all about. People are making buku bucks out here on it. Um, yeah. I'm just seeing what it's all about, you know. Uh, Why not? My 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 buddy's really into it, and like, there's a whole there's a whole thing on collecting like these artists' NFTs, and then like you can hold on to a little bit, and then for a little bit, and then resell it. And he's made a good amount of money just off of doing that, like collecting, and it's just like trading cards, basically, like, like Pokemon. You know, I got the special edition Charizard. What are you gonna give for me? Like, let mm-hmm. me get your Capri Sun. Except for now, it's like. Ethereum. <laughs> and the thing about NFTs, and Trey mentioned this earlier about emailing us. We have our email now. It's askdropcast, all one word, at Gmail. So the thing, I still haven't been able to have anybody explain to me what an NFT is in the way that, that I can understand it and understand its utility. I, I'm not going to do a good job at that. I'm, I'm still very, very, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, the thing about it is like with crypto, like we're both super into crypto and, you know, we got crypto and we love crypto. But crypto also has a utility where like Ethereum is being used in different countries for actual currency. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that. But it's like the idea behind an NFT is it's like, OK, if the if they NFT'd like the 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 Santa Claus from the Coke bottle, you know what I mean? Sure. So now you can't use that Santa Claus anywhere with, like in a movie without getting the NFT for it. Or like the rights from that owner. I of think it's NFT? basically like. But does that mean everything be, in the future on TV is just going to be nothing but a bunch of little NFTs? So we're just putting price tags on literally everything like instead of the copyright logo. It's like a new like the Ethereum symbol or something. I don't know. Like I, I I don't fully understand it either, and I could be like spitting false information here. But like that's basically what I understood it as. It's like equivalent to like the copyright logo. You know, like you mm-hmm. buy the Mona Lisa as an N- NFT from Van Gogh or whoever. You know. Yeah. Um, and then from there you are then like the sole owner of it so then if someone Mm -hmm. wants to use it in their coke ad they would then be having to pay you for the rights to it um but then what if they use it you just sue the shit out of them the amount that the nft would be like (sighs) that's yeah i haven't crossed that bridge there but then there's also like i was saying the whole whole realm of just like collecting and reselling that Mm -hmm. people are like going like crazy right now with and it's like a weird thing with just these series of like collector characters, if you will. And like, I think it's like a lot of people have that secret or like that secret wish of like, I'm going to collect all these NFTs and be able to have it in my like metaverse living room, which like, I think that's going to be like a weird incorporation, which like, yeah, I haven't even got that yet. Well, I mean, Decentraland, have you dove into that yet? I bought some the other night. I don't know too much about it though. No, Decentraland, (laughs) like the, the online video game. That I'm talking about. There's, am I thinking of the wrong one then? Maybe. There's, there's, so there's like meta, the metaverse just came out with the cryptocurrency. It's like D. Oh, I didn't know that. I got to hop on some of that. I don't know. I just read an article about it and was like, yeah, I'll convert some. So let me pull it up real quick, see what it's called. But Decentraland, that, that yeah, that game. video game. So yeah, that's basically the metaverse, just not VR. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So my brother in law, he's got, um, uh, he likes Decentraland, and basically, what you do is you you why have your office just in Ipsy when you can put it on Decentraland? 
so then people from all over the world can come and view, visit your office and your little avatar running around like Dwight in Second Life or Jim with a guitar on your back from the office. So this is Decentraland. Really? This is, yeah, so I guess like they've probably been in cahoots with Metaverse and they're like doing a whole thing with them. I just read an article that was like going through like the hot cryptos to buy with the Metaverse and I was like, oh, oh. this one seems cool. It's like it, it was just describing exactly what you were saying, like the open world kind of video game and they were describing this currency being the currency they would use in there so i was like you know hold on to it's it. only it's at three like bucks right now three dollars a coin yeah Sheesh. i just converted some some things into it pick some of that up at the end of this podcast i mean who knows i i, I literally know zero about it so don't yeah. go don't go buying buying decentraland out of it on my on my word also just remember that everything that you do in the crypto market is a risk and you take that risk at your own risk you know that's your that's on you you can listen to Jerry if you want, but I just, I just don't know shit about crypto, yeah. so don't don't listen We'll to get me. some people on here that can talk crypto soon. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like the NFT galleries that they have in there. Like when I was mm-hmm. running through my little character and I was like running through this land. So they like, already have that basically. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. already there. I yeah. was there. It was crazy. And it's nuts because I'm just looking at this and it's just like all this art. But then as I'm like in the NFT gallery, I step out and I walk a few hundred feet this way and I'm at Mercedes headquarters in this plot of land and like say it's all on a grid surface and there's only so much land and like each little plot is somewhere around like five or ten thousand dollars or something depending on it so if you build an office there you can build an office on your little square but mercedes has like 20 squares and it's a huge huge place and they've got like and that's like renders. actually Mercedes yes, buying it. Yes, it's actually in Mercedes in Decentraland. Land. And I, they must have some like young tech w- bro, guru who's in there like convincing <laughs> the old CEOs. So give me, I need $200,000 to buy plot in Decentraland. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about, boy? It's like Fortnite V-Bucks, <laughs> yeah, but it's different. Like old money versus new money. But like, you know, I go in there and I'm wa- walking around and I'm looking at Mercedes 3d renders of like their first cars or their first engines and their history lessons. I walk into another room and there's a zoom call going on live with their CEO and some other schmuck or somebody doing something. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on right now? Like, where am I? How is this making money? What is going on? Yeah. See that stuff still over the head. It's, can you, can you do the, that Decentraland? Can you do that in VR? Yet, or is it? I have no idea. I would assume like, so. I, I, I think mean, that's basically the premise of the meta metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg's like, I heard an interesting take on that the other day. Somebody was like, um, metaverse is the umbrella company, Facebook's the sister company. So Facebook only has like a certain number of assets. Mm-hmm. Give all the money to decentral or not to, to meta. Mm-hmm. You can't sue metaverse, you sue Facebook. Facebook, oh, sorry, we don't have any money. It's all underneath metaverse. Yeah, that's that's not not wrong. Um, I also saw if, like on the topic, uh, someone was just mentioning like before the iPhone came out, our like screen time was like ten percent a day, mm-hmm. and then when the iPhone came out, it was up to fifty percent. Yeah, but then I read like that. metaverse's goal is to bring it, or like once that's like with that whole idea, it's like going to be up to like ninety percent a day screen time, which yeah. is like. It's the I matrix. get headaches already, man. <laughs> it's what you, yeah. I read that exact same thing, and they yeah. were talking about how like then Facebook and Instagram came out and this and that, and then our percentages go up, and it's basically how can we take you out of this reality that you're living in, mm-hmm. so you, we can keep you in this reality because you know what? 
we can sell you a lot more shit in this reality than we, we have can control sell you. of this reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, I'm steering clear of that, boy. It's yeah. I would just proceed with caution. Speaking that's, that's of weird. Okay, so speaking of uh, could be the new norm. Yeah, no, fuck no. I know people that are super into it, like Jack Vireg, our next guest on this show. Mm-hmm. He's can't wait. Oh yeah, he's fully. He's, he's plugged in. He's like. Plug me in. Like, I want to live in there. I'm like, whoa. Red no. pill, red pill, red Yeah, pill. exactly. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good idea to talk about also one of the things that we do is a work-life balance at this point. Because it's like, you know, we spend a lot of time in front of these TV screens and everything like that. How do you balance yourself as a um, an entrepreneur, starting your own business, running your own business, and a freelancer, and still having a life? I mean, that's the, that's the difficult thing about it that I don't think I've mastered or, I mean, I can't speak for you. I think you've gotten pretty good at it. I don't know, man. I feel like I just like can't ever put work aside, you know? And that's like a, that's a. Well, yours is also your hobby too. It's like, yeah, that's the difficult thing about it is like, I love what I do. So like doing it is not like work for me per se. So, Mm -hmm. but just being able to put that aside, I think is, is very helpful. And that's definitely not something that I do. Um, it's something that I'm working on for sure. So like I am subject to a, if you will. So, um, it's, yeah, I just can't ever put work aside. And like, that's the hard thing about running a business and in this field is like, Mm -hmm. you're never really off the clock. Like we're always having conversations at whatever time. It's not a nine to five gig. If that's, Mm -mm. if that's what you're looking for, that's not it. But it, it does take all, all day. And that does take a toll on like outside relationships, outside of work and Mm -hmm. stuff, which is, is hard. And you gotta, you gotta balance that to, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, because running your own business in this field is so much more than a nine to five, you know, it's like, and I think a lot of people just don't even realize it too. And it sucks. It's like, what is that balance? You know? Well, there's also that the threshold, which has been referred to as like making the leap, you know, to like people who their their ends are met by their nine to five. And Mm -hmm. then after that nine to five, you go home and then you're supposed to sit back in front of the computer and work on your brand. And a lot of people struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I do too, but like one of the things is like drop has become pretty um, lucrative in the essence where like that doesn't necessarily have to go that route. So it's like, where do you find the motivation to like push yourself forward and get that click mm-hmm. to keep moving forward? And I think that comes with like um, splitting the load. You know, like, yeah, delegation for sure. Yeah. And just like working with other people so you guys can do it together. Other than that, you're just going to be a one man band, which is totally possible. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would say, too, just, uh, lost it. <laughs> what is I you lost s- it? Oh, you lost it? I thought you said bust it. <laughs> bust it down. Yeah. No, uh, I got it. But just like, again, that struggle of like that work life or just like that balance of like, or just that mentality of this is like your baby, your, your work, your like small business that you're creating and stuff. And it's like, I could, I could work like whatever, 20 hours in a day and get so much done or I can work like 
six or eight hours a day, normal done and like get it done. It's that speech that I'm thinking of. It's like, you can get, um, two years worth of work done in two years, or you can get two years worth of work done in six. That's not the quote at all. I completely <laughs> that. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, and one of the things too, I mean, basically the whole background of this podcast for everybody, I mean, we have been all over the place, but if you're still listening, if you want to, you know, build your brand and you want to make an image for yourself, you know, it comes down to like actually building that brand and figuring out the difference between like a brand and your product. Because one of the things about drop creative is like, we have gotten jobs specifically because of our brand. Like people Mm -hmm. have reached out to certain people and been like, yo, this is a really good videographer, but I don't think that videographer who usually does a lot more corporate stuff is going to be the right fit for the grit that you're looking for. And I remember somebody actually specifically used that term for Mm -hmm. one of our, for a bigger job. And they're like, I think these guys are going to be the ones that can really like get that grit that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's just because we built like that. That's your style at that point. It's just like that little bit of edge to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And we still do corporate stuff and we get a lot of those gigs too. And that's why one of the things we're trying to dive a little bit more into, but just being able to, to build a brand that you can push in a way that's going to help make you money, whether it's camera cowboy trays, NFTs or anything that you can do spreading yourself like an ink blot over your whole entire market is, is really going to help. Yeah. And I mean that work life balance again, like the grind Mm -hmm. is real and like you gotta, you put in what you, or you get out what you put into it. So like, again, like without killing yourself, put as yeah. much as you can into it you know but unfortunately so. i mean we do live in a capitalistic world where like if you don't do it and this is the sh- super <laughs> shitty part about it That's if, super. super shitty if you don't do it somebody's gonna do it before you and they're gonna most likely do it for cheaper and they're gonna make and spend that time on it and if you just worked a little bit harder for a little bit cheaper, you're going to get the gig. And that's what sucks because like that's this toxic snowball effect of the capitalistic world that we live in with, especially with artists too, with undercutting and it's Mm -hmm. it's bullshit. Oh yeah. Yeah. The way, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that. It's just like the, the trials and tribulations of being a creator, (laughs) like dealing with like the, how clients think they, can just walk all over you how a client can email you two years later thinking that it's your fault that you don't have the piece of content that you already delivered them to like the most important day of their life that they should have downloaded get the fuck out of here and it's crazy too because like this like i said like to bring this all encompassing it's like with instagram and all this social media toxicity like i like to say that i specialize in landscape photography yet i'll go on torrance's instagram and i'll be like holy shit dude like this dude's slamming it he's not that's not even something that he's like specializing in. he's just been going on trips he's a good photographer and he's built his grid and he's kept his grind up and like when we're doing stuff like this or like i'm doing something else like school or something like that you know like somebody else is doing it better than you and it's like comes down to to really focusing on your niche because i see a lot of people like come some people come to me sometimes and they'll say like, can you help me with my website? Or like, what about my brand? Can you help me with? And the first thing I'll always go to their website or this or that. And I just like, okay, well this looks like really college-y, you know, 
or mm-hmm. it just looks kind of like super like you're trying to hit that minimalist look, but it just looks like lack of content rather than minimalism. And it's like, where are your brand guidelines? Like what fonts are you using? What's your color palette? Where's your logo at? What's all this stuff? What are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people have to start with base one, which is like a brand guideline, mm-hmm. build that up. And once you do that, then you can go to the next step by like pure perfecting your content. Yeah, and just working alongside your mission statement and having that that clear vision of like exactly. what your end goal is. So then, all jobs leading up leading up to that end goal is kind of are mm-hmm. stepping stones along that that path. Yeah. So just making sure that you know, and you can work really hard to do it because another thing too is like people are like, oh, well, that's just a lot of work. You know, and it's like, dude, you have to do it. You have to sit in front of your computer and do it or else it's never going to get done. Mm-hmm. Well, like to to touch on like the the creative rut too. Oh, yeah. Um, Just everyone's been there where it's like, man, I just can't think of anything to make or create or whatever that may be. Um, One thing that I've kind of found super helpful when I've experienced that is. Uh, Everybody listen. <laughs> It's just reverse engineering like content that you like or that like interests you, you know, or for me, it's like, it's mainly, um, I did a lot of it during COVID and stuff was when I like would see something on Instagram or Reddit or whatever that really caught my attention in the graphic design realm of things. Um, I, I really kind of took that opportunity to like practice my Photoshop and illustrator skills in that sense of, uh, just like finding an image or like a graphic design piece of work that um, that I was interested in and just kind of, like I said, reverse engineering it, kind of breaking it down. I can tell like where some masks are, where the shading, like what certain techniques like are there. And then just kind of with that basic understanding and like applications to these softwares, um, just kind of rebuilding it. And I think not rebuilding like this art piece that someone else did like from the ground up, but like using those specific methods and styles to then create something of your own and like taking that and like giving your own twist to it. So like, and that those like no one really ever sees from me either. Like there's a lot of pieces that I don't share. I think you need to put all those in your highlights. I've been saying that like a lot of those too, I just use as practice and those aren't necessarily like, my work I would classify them as so like those are more so just like practice edits to where like some of those graphic design pieces I mean there are a handful that I haven't released that like I've I plan on doing which aren't necessarily like someone else's work but just practicing like someone's cool I don't even know of an example but like just practicing someone's work from the ground up and then like just using that as like I mean you're practicing sketching as a drawing as a as an artist, like if you're writing on pen and paper and stuff, like you do that countless of times before you get to a piece that you're happy with. And like, I think doing that in the, the digital realm is, is definitely valid too, especially when you're in that creative rut. Yeah. Whether you're stealing somebody's art or you're screenshotting an NFT, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's like, that's what I go back to. Like I don't post those pieces and they're more so just like, practice yeah. to get those techniques and certain things down because then once you learn those pieces and you kind of get something that you're that's similar to that piece you may be referencing or something 
you can then take all those skills and then apply it to your style and give it that twist, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of where I, I learn a lot is just from reverse engineering cool yeah. shit I find on the internet. <laughs> I mean, it, even way back in the day when we used to use things like pixel sorter and AE, where it's like, you know, you see that a couple times and you're like, yo, that looks dope. But then you do it and you're like, okay, this and that, is it played out? Is it not? And I think what it comes down to, um, where the where was I going with that? I had it right on the tip of my tongue. Um, we were talking about reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Just practicing. Well, practicing, yeah. But I don't know. I lost it. All right. It's gone. Yeah, I was gonna say we could talk about live event photography but i mean i feel like we kind of touched that i remember oh, oh. i remember it's back Boom. it's back right okay in. so it was back to what i was saying yeah, hang, with us. hang with yeah. us guys you know we're we're video people not yeah. not talking people it's okay <laughs> no okay so like the the age-old saying and this is kind of where i joked about stealing an nft um i don't know who said it but you can google it and figure it out who great are you know good artists create but the best artists steal you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever heard yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, <clears throat> it's a terrible thing because it's like, they're like, it's called biting in the graffiti world. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you bit that off of me, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. you take a bite off of somebody and chew it up yourself and then yeah. produce your shit. But it's like, um, when I was developing my style with letters and when I was developing um, just other styles, it would always take a little bite here, a little bite there and you'd cure it as your own. And it's kind of like what you would, um, were saying with, it's like reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. And what it happens is, is like you do get inspiration to go off in a different direction. And then the thing that you bit is like not really there as much because you exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you found like a different Avenue to go down. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I still don't really know how I feel morally about that statement. Great artists steal because like, yeah, you, you look a at a touchy, lot, yeah, yeah, you look at a lot of art and you're like, wow, that's great. But then there's usually somebody who did it before. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like you, you can do something like that you think is the most original, even if you're not basing it off of anything. And mm-hmm. like, there is a good chance that someone's somebody already did done it. it. Yeah. yeah. So. I've seen it a bunch of times, especially in the, the graffiti world. And, and there's like, modern art and like physical art too like Photo- you would photo- never know photographs you know? Like, photographers yeah. and stuff like you think landscape photography hasn't been done before <laughs> like the most original photo of the grand canyon <laughs> yeah exactly but it's like i don't know it's really difficult and i guess honestly what i can say when it comes down to creating content is just do what feels good do what you like to do and if someone's giving you crap on it like yeah if you don't like shooting weddings don't shoot weddings yeah trey doesn't shoot weddings the record, dude. I, don't I got this weekend at this wedding. Yeah, I can like more than five people asked me to shoot their wedding, and I just got fed up with it. No, you pass them to me, bro. By the way, I don't mind shooting weddings, I think weddings are <laughs> super easy money, and it's really, really easy. Call money. the camera cowboy, he's the newest uh Duh. wedding videographer uh, in town. Yeah, whatever, but that's money, baby. It is, yeah, it is, but... yeah. But you'd rather be at home making NFTs and getting better at your skill, and I think that's just what comes down to just being There's only to, so many hours in a day, you know, and, yeah. and, and so many years in a life, so... I feel you. Really choosing what you spend those hours and those mm-hmm. years doing, I think, is, is important. Do what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what were you... You were going to say something before I remembered what I was going to say. Do you remember what you were going to say? You said um, about the live events. Oh yeah, you're saying we I was just gonna live events. yeah touch on it like we the episode before we kind of already touched on it is just like that feeling of like 
when you're shooting for those bigger artists on how there's like gonna always be those like 10 other photographers there getting the same shot Mm -hmm. but just like again like we've been talking about is like setting yourself aside from those people that all are shooting on like everyone can be shooting on the same exact camera and like getting the same exact photo but at the end of the day what are you going to do to make your work stand out and look different you know so finding that creative touch and that that creative sauce as we call it Mm -hmm. um, really goes a long way I think it's interesting too because me and Trey I can think of countless times where we're literally shooting over each other's shoulders like we're both taking the exact same pictures but Mm -hmm. the edits that we turn out are completely different Mm -hmm. in all like a lot of the ways like even on this when and when we went to wyoming and south dakota and stuff like we're both running around taking the same pictures and from the same car but Mm -hmm. the the outcomes are way different yeah totally and like that's kind of your style that emerges after that point you know mm -hmm. and even as somebody who learned a lot of the stuff from you you'd think it would be falling more in your vein which sometimes it doesn't sometimes it doesn't so Mm -hmm. yeah totally but yeah, again, just with live events too, the the rush of getting all of your uh, your photos in a one hour set time, or sometimes even shorter, you know, mm-hmm. um, just working with speed. If you're gonna do live events, um, yeah. really know your camera and how to operate it, because if you're troubleshooting for even just ten minutes, that's that's your show. That's like ten percent of your thing right there, mm-hmm. or more than that. So yeah. And I think with live events too, I always do this thing where I'm like, I'm not going to overshoot. And then I always feel like I overshoot. And then I get into the editing bay and I'm like, God damn it. I needed just a little bit more. Dude, I've gotten, I've gotten kind of good at this. The, the Mercer, the Detroit show. Yeah. 54 clips. That's it. What? 54 clips. Isn't that video like a minute and 30 seconds? That's it though. But like normally. But isn't the video like a minute and 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. Wow. So you stretched that footage good. I just knew what I wanted, you know. After a certain time, you don't have like, you know what you want and what you got to get and stuff. So I feel like like freeze frame and everything ate up a little bit of time. But yeah, (laughs) I feel like it also depends on the event that you're shooting and how well you know Mm -hmm. how your edit's going to turn out. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, That has to do with it. But yeah, I mean, I think we, we definitely covered a lot of photography things, a lot of nft things a lot of just brand guidelines you know just this one we kind of riffed a little bit more off the dome which is fine but i think it's just important to just stick with who you are in in your brand and try to differentiate yourself and just like really do it and reach out to people and reverse engineer and stay focused and use like that little extra drive and even in the most toxic way use those likes on instagram to get you in front of your computer again like oh yes like people actually are into my stuff if they don't like it it's not that it's not good it's just toxicity of instagram you know mm-hmm. but um yeah i think uh i think this podcast i think our our goal with it i know it kind of got a little like preachy or like tutorially if you will um but i think we just kind of wanted this to be like a really free flowing platform to where like we can have a conversation mm-hmm. about stuff and more so like, like you were saying, it was just a little bit more free flowing with this one, but just kind of see where we take it. And next week is going to be the first week that we guest. have a guest on. So, yeah. So n- this is podcast number three. Um, next week is going to be podcast number four. Um, it's going to be my good friend, Jack Vireg. He's a marketer. He's got a crazy life story. We might touch on it. We might not, but the dude 
makes buku bucks off of a self-taught marketing thing that he he went to youtube university and he works for some pretty high up companies and he's pretty high up there himself and he can also he's actually been a mentor to us in certain ways too when it comes to a lot of online branding and seo and all that stuff um so yeah he'll be on here next week next monday um other than that you guys are probably listening to this on spotify hopefully it'll be up on apple podcast by the time this podcast is over but youtube we'll yeah, apple YouTube. apple can be a little well, be hot. Yeah, they're being annoying. Apparently, it's way harder to. It's not way harder. But yeah, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and follow us on Spotify. And Spotify. Click that follow button. Don't just use us from your recent links. Um, my Instagram is camera.cowboy. We've got Trace Armento's Instagram as Trace Armento, all one word. Follow us on Instagram at the dot dropcast and the. Or I'm sorry, and drop dot creative. That's it. There we go. Yeah. That's it. That's and all you can check out the macro stuff at Depth yeah. of Fields. Yeah, Depth of Fields. Yup. There'll be links below. Yeah, we're good. Take it easy, everybody. See you next week. Peace.